This is another stay tuned. This is this is uh, Michigan. And seriously, I think we're going to have to start our own reality series on this, Scott. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now, here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Managing Editor for the Center Square, a nonpartisan news site. Michigan in Focus is brought to you by America's Talking Network. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric coming from echo chambers in our country today, America's Talking Network has been made for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find news, civil conversations, and all of the Center Square podcasts. The only agenda that America's Talking Network has is to get America talking again. Go to americastalking.com to check out all of their podcasts. Once again, that's americastalking.com. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, February 24th, and joining me today is Scott McClellan, as he does every week. And Scott is the Center Square's Michigan correspondent. Hello, Scott. Hey, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Hey, you bet. Well, listen, Scott, it's no surprise to everybody that we actually know you're going to be here every week. So um, a little note came across the the interwebs just now about the redistricting commission in Michigan and how they just gave themselves a $4,000 raise. So do you have any background on that? I know you haven't written a story on it yet, but uh, you're, a, you're a guy with your finger on the pulse. You know what's happening in Michigan. Yeah, right before we hopped on this call, the redistricting committee voted eight to three to give them a 7% or a roughly $4,000 raise. Now, this follows a ongoing budget deficit and a documentary the redistricting committee is making featuring itself. So uh, this is going to be real interesting moving forward. So is it going to be like the the real redistricting commission of Michigan or, or something like that? Is it going to be a new reality series and Andy Cohen will produce it or? That's what it sounds like. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see who's the star of the show and how accurately it depicts what actually happened. Okay. All right. Well, let, keep us posted on that. Uh, I think there'll be more to talk about that next week because uh I think the lawsuits are starting to stack up against the redistricting commission's new map for the next 10 years. And we'll move along to a story that I wrote today because I want to toot my own horn. Uh, The Michigan Occupational Safety uh, and Hazard Associate Administration fined Port Huron $6,300 over a general feeling city manager. Uh, told the House Oversight Committee last week, and this week they had they was part two. This could turn into yet another reality series, and there it was a company that is based out of Plymouth, Michigan. It's an automotive supplier, and uh, they had an accident four years ago, and trying to settled this amicably with Myosha has turned into a $2,500 fine trying to fight the fine. Well, actually, they were just trying to not get this on their record because it could negatively impact them in many, many different ways. So what happened is they 
Uh, an employee did not follow safety protocols and they have training for this every six months, didn't follow the protocols, injured himself, bruised his arm. Uh, it was nothing life-threatening and uh, all limbs were intact, but uh, Myosha got involved and they fined the company uh, Argent International $2,500. They appealed it and they said, well, listen, we'll, we'll drop the fine to $1,500. And they said, well, you don't understand if uh, we if we say that uh, we were responsible for this when the employee who injured himself readily noted that he didn't follow protocols and that he was the person at fault. It wasn't that it was an unsafe work environment. Uh, if, if we just go ahead and pay this fine, then we're going to have a blemish on our record that could impact our insurance, could impact not only that, uh, the the certification that they would require in order to keep their big three clients. So this is, and, and it's just a reputational hazard. It's a company that's been in business for 40 years. So anyway, uh, they have spent upwards around $150,000 thus far to fight this $1,500 battle. And uh, so we're going to pay attention to that. And one of the things is uh, they ran out of time today, so we haven't been able to hear uh, the other side of the story from Myosha. But there will be more testimony forthcoming next week. So uh, stay tuned for that because there's more to come. So having said that, let's talk about the schools in Rochester. Scott, what the heck is going on? So a lawsuit claims that Rochester Community Schools collected a dossier and even called employers of parents who were critical about virtual learning. Uh, parent Elena Daverno sued the district, saying that officials called her employer, alleging she was part of a group that threatened the school district. Daverno was fired afterward. So, yeah. Okay, so the, the 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 schools actually had employees monitoring the social media of the parents in their district to so that they could compile a dossier of individuals who disagreed with school policies related to I'm I'm assuming this is uh, all uh, distance learning, COVID learning, mask, and and what have you. Yes, is, is that correct? Okay, yes, it is. So. There, anything, anybody who is on social media who is uh, less than complimentary of the school and the administration, uh, were subject to having a secret dossier compiled on their activities, and there was indeed a lawsuit, and we we have, and I I know that you have filed a FOIA to see what this was uh, settled for. Is there any other updates that you can uh, provide on that, Scott? No, not yet. Still pending. Okay. All right. Uh, any other details that uh, you might be able to fill in on this thus far? Yeah. The lawsuit alleges that Superintendent Robert Shaner admitted uh, that he called a parent's employer because he was, quote, scared, end quote, 
of protests at private homes, uh, protesting virtual learning only. Now, did they actually make a uh, valid threat, a verifiable threat that they might actually take the protest to the homes of school administrators? The superintendent never followed up with the with the person. So that's unclear. Okay. So, and, and one woman has actually lost her job as a result thereof. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, this is another stay tuned. This is, this is uh, Michigan. And uh, seriously, I think uh, we're going to have to start a, our own reality series on this, Scott. So um, you had the opportunity to speak with a renowned economist, Gary Wolfram from Hillsdale this week. And he had some interesting comments to make about the new proposed state subsidies for the purchase of electric vehicles. Why don't you fill us in on that? Yeah, so Dr. Dr. Gary Wolfram basically broke down the numbers and uh, he was questioning why all 10 million, you know, roughly 10 million people in Michigan, uh, their taxes are funding electric vehicles, which are mainly driven by people who are wealthier. Uh, typically, we see subsidies uh, targeted toward the poor, but in this instance, uh, the policy aims to take from all Michiganders to specifically benefit Michiganders who drive electric vehicles. Right. So uh, th this directly relates to the, the there's a $7,500 subsidy that comes from the feds for the purchase of electric vehicles. But uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is proposing a, what is it, an additional $2,500? Yes. So um, you would end up with $10,000 on the hood of every electric vehicle that is purchased, but uh, the I'm just going to ballpark it here and say that uh, a decent electric vehicle has got to be somewhere between uh, uh, entry level would be between what thirty five thousand forty thousand dollars. So uh, not every low income individual is going to be able to finance a vehicle. Uh, to that degree, to that extent. So uh, I, I can see what is his, what I can see the point that he's making and whether I agree with it or not remains to be seen. But um, uh, what say you? I mean, you, you, you actually studied with with Dr. Wolfram, correct? Yeah, I did. OK, so uh, any other uh, background that you might be able to give me on that? Uh, it mainly just, uh, he, he was explaining that, uh, this is a problem of, uh, really dispersed costs and concentrated benefits. You know, all Michigan taxpayers would pay it, but only a small, uh, portion of people would actually benefit from it. Uh, there actually, there are only 13,545 electric vehicles registered in Michigan, uh, compared to about, you know, 5.8 billion sorry, $5.8 million uh, gas-powered vehicles. Uh, but yet, Michigan lawmakers and Governor Gretchen Whitmer want to spend over a billion dollars subsidizing electric vehicles and their, uh, their producers. In Governor Gretchen Whitmer's $74 billion budget, uh, she pitches uh, 
giving $500 million to electric vehicle companies on top of the already $824 million promised. Her budget goes on to pitch 50, spending $50 million to subsidize electric vehicle sales and another $10 million to turn Michigan's fleet electric. Holy cats. And that doesn't even include monies for infrastructure, correct? No, it does not. So because you got you got to charge those babies. Wow. OK, well, let, let, let's move along. And um, once again, uh, payday lending institutions are in the crosshairs of individuals who say that uh they are unfair and they take advantage and exploit lower income individuals. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, the, the petition and movement that's afoot to require them to lower their interest rates. Yeah, so the group Michigan for Fair Lending says that uh, payday loans are predatory, uh, they are aiming to gather just over 340,000 valid signatures by June 1st to try to get on the November ballot to cap annual payday uh, interest rates at 36%. What are they now? Is Are there a limit placed on those right now? It's complicated. Uh, yeah, it, it's complicated because they, they limit the amount you can borrow by the number of weeks. So it's... Uh, it's not just simply like a percentage, if I recall. Okay. So, um, well, I, I know that uh, this was in the crosshairs of the, the federal government for quite some time. Uh, and I think this was something that Elizabeth Warren had uh, instituted Operation Choke Point, which uh, f- focused on payday lending sources, uh, gun retailers and tobacco retailers. And uh, so a lot of this information was coming out then. And and I did a little bit of work on that back in the day. So um, essentially the payday lending, they only allow you to borrow what, you know, according to what your income is and your ability to repay it within two weeks. And they, they, they set it up uh, to, align with the, per, the the borrower's pay schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And and so whatever you borrow, you know, the VIG, as we like to say, those of us who like to watch The Sopranos, um, is on top of it. And then uh, you pay back the balance in two weeks. But there, there is, you know, individuals who get kind of sucked into the morass who are required to pay it off every two weeks and then they just re-up for the next two weeks and sometimes it turns into a vicious cycle but uh, that that's one way to look at it but um there's also another way to look at it and uh, this is something that you and i have discussed offline so i'll I'll turn the, the the floor over to you and you you can explain it to me and explain it to our listeners so uh, borrowing money from a bank uh, is, def- is likely more optimal than going to a payday lender. But in reality, a lot of people, uh, do, they can't borrow from a bank. Uh, they do not have high enough credit uh, to get a low interest rate, but they still need to borrow money. So at that point, their options are limited. Uh, you know, They can borrow from a pay- payday 
lending and pay those extremely high costs, or they can, you know, borrow from someone less scrupulous uh, who may be operating illegally, and uh, they may do worse things than take your money. <laughs> right. If you don't pay back in the time allotted, um, you could be on on the lamb running from someone trying to break your legs but right and it there is also the the convenience factor the payday lending sources are fairly easy to find and you can show up with a minimal amount of documentation and get a short-term loan that you can pay off in two weeks and it's n never going to be optimal but uh borrowing money or, you know, to put food on the table or to make your rent payment or something like that. It, it, it's never optimal to, to borrow things for day-to-day -day purchases, but sometimes things get pretty nasty and uh, you have to go with, you have to go with what, what's available to you. And like you said before, it's difficult to get a loan from a bank if uh you don't have collateral or you just want a, a short loan to tide you over until your next paycheck. So, okay, well, we're, we're, we're getting close to the end here, Scott. So uh, I know you sat in on a tax reform meeting today, and it sounds like that, that was a real whammer jammer. So I'm going to let you let you address that. So go for it. So I sat in on a joint House committee this morning. Uh, the House Tax Committee and the House Appropriations Committee met together to discuss uh, fiscal policy bills. So the House GOP plan is actually separate from the Senate GOP plan. The House is uh, today pitched a $1.7 billion tax break that aims to drop the personal income tax rate from 4.25% down to 3.9%. Uh, the bill also aims to exempt retired income starting at age 62. Now that's down from the current age of 67. Uh, the bill aims to exempt um, up to $20,000 for single filer and up to $40,000 for a joint filer. And it also adds a separate retirement exemption that uh, if eligible uh, people could up, uh, exempt uh, $40,000 of income filing sing alone or $80,000 filing together. Okay, so um, how are those plans received today in committee? Not well, not well. The Democrats uh, argued, they said that they only had 12 hours to review the plan. Uh, they didn't end, actually end up voting on it. All the Democrats passed uh, over personal tensions uh, in the committee. Uh, so that's, that's the first plan. Uh, the Senate GOP has a second plan. Uh, they, the Senate passed it, uh, I believe it was last week, the bill aims to provide a $2.5 billion tax cut and lower the personal income tax rate from 4.25% down to 3.9% and drop the corporate tax rate from 6% down to 3.9%. So the main difference between the Senate GOP plan and the House GOP plan is the corporate income tax break. So what's the next step on that, Scott? 
negotiations. Uh, House and Senate appear uh, that they're going to have to negotiate and figure out what they want. Uh, and uh, and then the Republicans are going to have to negotiate with Whitmer. Uh, both sides appear, appear to have a common goal of repealing the retirement tax and giving some form of tax relief, uh, but the exact uh, methods remain unclear. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I think we're just about out of time right now. So um, any other things that you're working on right now that uh, we can look forward to for next week's conversation? Uh, just continued work about the, this tax relief. Uh, lawmakers were adamant that they want broad tax relief for all Michiganders, uh, while uh, the Democrat plan appears to target tax breaks to uh, the retired and early families and those who drive electric vehicles. That's all the time we have for today for this episode of Michigan in Focus. I'd like to thank Scott McClellan for all of his news insights. You can listen to the Center Square podcast at americastalking.com. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. Scott and I will be back next week.